Shelley Schlender from BeInMyDiabetes.com. Up next is an interview with Lauren Cordain. Lauren is a professor at Colorado State University. He's an expert on Paleolithic lifestyles. His most recent book is The Paleo Answer. We did this interview in November 2011. It starts with Lauren giving the evolutionary reason for why grains can be irritating to the human gut. Grains are the seeds of a plant. They're their reproductive material. And plants don't make the reproductive material to give away for free to other animals, okay? If they did, they'd become extinct. And so the evolutionary strategy that many plants, particularly cereal grains, have taken to, is to prevent predation is to evolve toxic compounds so that the predator of the seeds can't eat them so that they can put their seeds in the soil where they're meant to be to grow a new plant and not in the gut of an animal to feed it. If we look at the outside part of a, a seed, uh, that's the part that comes in contact with the environment and that's the one that has the concentrated sources of anti-nutrients. So all these nasty things that we're finding in grains that cause problems are concentrated in the outside portion of it. And so that's where the fiber is is in the bran portion, and that's where many of the anti-nutrients are. You know, I have a friend who had her knees hurting a lot after she ate bread. I, I said, well, if you really want to have bread now and then, why don't you try some white bread, some French bread, and see what happens to your knees? For her, the pain went away when she did that. Not to say that white bread is the greatest food in the world, but whole grain breads actually caused her more problem. Yeah, whole grains are uh, concentrated sources of anti-nutrients, more so than white bread. I'm not, white bread certainly isn't good because high glycemic load, you know, and it also contains gliadin, which uh, is one of the elements that opens up the gut, but uh, lectins do too, and lectins are more concentrated in the outside layer of wheat berries. People think that whole grains are good sources of fiber, actually they're not. Fruits and vegetables contain uh, orders of magnitude, at least vegetables do, an order of magnitude more fiber per calorie than does uh, whole grains. You don't need, there's no human requirement for grains. And that's the, that's the problem with the, the USDA recommendation. They, they think we're hardwired as a species to eat grains. We don't, you can, get, you can get by just fine and meet every single nutrient requirement that humans have without eating grains. And grains are, are, are absolutely poor sources of vitamins and minerals compared to fruits and vegetables and meat and fish. So when you state the obvious, anybody can do that. Get a computerized dietary analysis program and put in the eight whole grains and then put in 20 most commonly consumed fruits and 20 most commonly consumed vegetables and look at the nutrient density. The nutrient density is much greater in fruits and vegetables than it is in grains. So why are we putting grains at the base of our pyramid and telling people that they have to eat them? There's absolutely no nutrient in grains that we can't get elsewhere. I've also heard that fiber is overrated in terms of its benefits for giving us healthy digestion. That what's more important is that the microbes inside of our guts are healthy and happy and all by themselves they'll give us all of the bulk to our digestion that we need. You do need bulk. Um, you need what we call prebiotics, which is fiber, but there's basically two types of fiber. There's soluble and non-soluble fiber, and grains contain 
the type mainly except for oat, oats, they contain non-soluble fiber. Fruits and vegetables contain soluble fiber. Soluble fiber tends to be therapeutic in that it slightly lowers uh, cholesterol and, and, other, and beneficially affects some other blood parameters, uh, but more so it provides uh, soluble fiber, which is uh, an environment for healthy bacteria to live in our gut. And so what we're finding now is that uh, probiotics, uh, along with prebiotics, help us to have a healthy flora of bacteria in our gut. And when we have a healthy flora of bacteria in our gut, it tends to prevent leaky gut and it tends to prevent chronic low-level inflammation that occurs when our gut is colonized with gram-negative bacteria more than gram-positive bacteria. So uh, if you eat an average low-residue Western diet, high-glycemic load diet, it tends to promote uh, flora that uh, is not therapeutic. One of the most common afflictions is diabetes. Once somebody has full-fledged diabetes or they're on their way to that, while they could have eaten a paleolithic diet before that might have helped prevent their diabetes, they may not be able to have as many calories as carbohydrates as, say, a paleo diet has. Are you comfortable when people modify it so that they eat more fats and they eat fewer fruits? Well, there's two types of diabetes. The most common type in the United States is type 2 diabetes, and that's the type of diabetes that is essentially a lifestyle People with obesity, people um, that are insulin resistant, develop type 2 diabetes. And uh, that can be cured. It's not an incurable disease. And so by losing weight and changing diet and reducing carbohydrate in their diet, um, then these people can end up becoming uh, non-diabetic and, and coming in complete remission with their disease. The other type of diabetes is type 1 diabetes in which the immune system, it's an autoimmune disease in which the immune system attacks the beta cells in the pancreas and destroys them. And the thinking has always been there is no such thing as remission from type 1 diabetes because once the beta cells in the pancreas are destroyed, then you essentially have to inject insulin for the rest of your life. And what we have found now, surprisingly, in the last three or four years, uh, we have uh, had two or three anecdotal cases of people with uh, physician-diagnosed type 1 diabetes who were insulin brittle, so they had, were injecting themselves with insulin. We have uh, at least three cases that I'm aware of where they have actually come into complete remission. And myself, I was the biggest skeptic of all. I said, you, you can't come out of the disease. And, but we did, and so they stopped injecting insulin, and the, there are certain uh, blood parameters you can measure to determine whether or not someone still has the disease or not. And so I'm working on this with a colleague here in our department and uh, another immunologist around the world, and what we think is what's going on is that the immune system all but destroys most of the, the beta cells in the pancreas but there are what are called stem cells, and there's a few stem cells that are left that can become beta cells, and if you can stop the immune uh, assault on those, the body's own tissues, if you can completely stop it, then those stem cells might be able to regenerate uh, beta cells sufficiently to restore pancreatic function.
Now, beta cells only regenerate at a rate of about 1% per year, so it's not very fast. Is it possible that sometimes there are beta cells that are almost dead, but they're not all dead? What we're thinking, in, in both cases, the, the people that came into function were, were younger people. They were uh, the two young women that had recently been diagnosed. And so our thinking is, is that they perhaps maybe had 10 or 20 percent function remaining, and then with the cessation of the immune system assault on the beta cells, that stem cells started to regrow, and the remaining cells in the stem cell regrowth perhaps were was the explanation. I mean, we don't, we really didn't know, because I'd never heard about this before. Now, one of the women that you had mentioned to me before, who was a type 1 diabetic who had stopped taking medications, on her website she says that she is now taking medications. Yeah, if she gave up on the diet or didn't work or whatever, I haven't spoken with her directly. But I do know of another younger girl who's probably in her early teens now, and I have been in correspondence with her mother, and this young teenage girl is and has been in remission. There is also a woman who's advertising on the web right now about her twin boys who she put on a plant-based diet or something like that, where they were both diagnosed as type 1 diabetics, and now they don't take any medications. I don't know whether her children were misdiagnosed or what. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me because if, you, if someone eats a plant-based diet, the only way you can eat a plant-based diet is by eating grains and legumes, and those are two factors that... You don't have to ask me. You can look at my there are hundreds of scientific papers showing that legumes and grains increase intestinal permeability, and they do it through the mechanisms we talked about earlier, through lectins and saponins and uh, what are called thalmatin-like proteins. So uh, I would say that a ve vegetarian or vegan diet would be one of the worst ways a person with autoimmune disease uh, could go. I would recommend not doing that. Plus, those have a fairly high carbohydrate content, which would be more likely to stress the pancreas. Yeah, a higher carbohydrate diet before uh, insulin was synthesized and before people could inject themselves with insulin, um, one of the few ways that people could counteract the disease because it wasn't until the early 60s that the distinction was made between type 1 and type 2 diabetes uh, was to reduce the carbohydrate uh, in their diet. And so that anecdotally people found work prior to the day and age of the invention of or the synthesis of insulin and injecting it. There's some markers that you've been able to identify that show whether or not someone's getting wheat or gluten in their diet without realizing it. If there could be an inexpensive test where there were lots of things being checked, but that was one of them. I can imagine that the kids with autism doing the Defeat Autism Now diet, where they've pulled all of the glutens out of their diet, they could actually take a blood sample and see whether that's the case. It's so easy to get some of that in a person's diet. The Celiac Disease Center was telling me it takes less than a teaspoonful of gluten once every two months to keep the inflammatory attack going on the gut. That's not very much. I believe from the research that you've done, you're aware of some markers that would be worth going after if there was a comprehensive panel that had those kind of things on it. There's a, a biological template that allows scientists to look into the future 
and it's called the evolutionary template. And if you don't use it, it's like playing soccer on an up, running uphill on a soccer field against a team that's running downhill. And any nutritionist, biologist, or physician that doesn't use the evolutionary template to help them guide, guide them to the correct decision is inevitably going to end up with the wrong answer. And that's part of the problem with the governmental recommendations right now by the USDA is that we're not putting evolu the evolutionary template over the problem of diet and health. The population-wide recommendation for everybody to eat whole grains is ridiculous. If the numbers are correct, 1% or 2%, there's no way on this God's green earth we should be recommending whole grains to the entire population. I've got an article here from the New York Times, Lauren Cordain, that came out on November 25th, Should We All Go Gluten-Free? New York Times. It talks about a convention where people were so happy to find out ways that they can eat pancakes that don't have gluten in them. My guess is you would say all of those alternatives have some similar potential to cause a leaky gut. It's, it's not as simple as just having a gluten-free bread. Exactly, and uh, you can make gluten-free products. You can have gluten-free breads that are made out of rice and potato flour and God knows what else, and they can have even a texture that is similar to, to bread, but you're still getting a gigantic glycemic load. You're still getting a variety of anti-nutrients that are potentially not very helpful. It would be fun, wouldn't it, to get all of these markers together and have experts look at them and comment on the same thing. It, it wouldn't mean that we answer all the questions. There will always be more questions, but it would be a neat thing to look at. Again, the people that are, are looking at gluten and gliadin, uh, Fasano's group, uh, and people that are looking at leaky gut, uh, they're missing, like for instance with autism, we know that, we know that autism, uh, there's leaky gut is going on with autism, and it, it presents frequently but we're looking at the um, we're looking at this unit dimensionally and if you look at just wheat so in the autism thing they're looking at wheat and dairy so they remove wheat and dairy but I can tell you right now is that potatoes contain substances that that cause a leaky gut as do legumes just to the extent that gliadin does so uh, if you've got an autistic kid and you get them off of wheat and dairy well good you, you and the studies, the, there's one meta-analysis that, that has looked at all six studies that either removed wheat or removed dairy, and it shows a therapeutic effect for autistic children. But if a leaky gut is indeed involved and it is autoimmune related, then you're only halfway there. And you have to get the legumes and you have to get potatoes out of the diet. These saponin containing foods we know cause leaky gut. In healthy normal humans there's two glycoalkaloids in potatoes. One's called alpha-solanine, the other's called alpha-shaconine. Those things in healthy normals after you eat a potato, if you eat uh, mashed potatoes, within a half hour those two glycoalkaloids are found in the bloodstream of healthy normals. So what does it tell us? It tells us they're breaching the gut barrier. Um, so that would be, then those are ubiquitous foods, chili beans, potatoes, french fries, mashed potatoes. People eat those things every day. And so um, if we're looking at a leaky gut, then you need to look at these other substances. You would suggest that even though there are no saponins and no lectins in sugar, 
that can lead to leaky gut too in a very different pathway, but that can, that do, it can do it too. High glycemic load carbohydrates we know cause increased intestinal permeability. And one of the mechanisms may be the change in gut flora that we're seeing when people eat those kinds of foods, when they eat a lot of sugar and refined carbohydrates, is that it could potentially alter the gut flora in a manner that can increase intestinal permeability. Well, Lauren Cordain, you have a new book coming out. I do, indeed. It's published by John Wiley and Sons, and the title of the new book is called The Paleo Answer. And I've written about everything that I haven't written about in my other two books, and it's got all of the latest information right up to 2011. So we've got the best science in there showing you that saturated fats are okay to eat and why vegetarian and vegan diets are not a good idea and why taking antioxidant vitamins might shorten your life. You've been listening to an interview recorded in November 2011 with Lauren Cordain, a scientist who studies nutrition and exercise and is the author of several books about the paleo diet. His latest book is The Paleo Answer. I'm Shelley Schlender. Thanks to Walt Schlender for our music. You can find related articles and audio about nutrition and health at meandmydiabetes.com.
I'm Shelley Schlender from MeAndMyDiabetes.com. Up next is an interview with Lauren Cordain. Lauren is a professor at Colorado State University. He's an expert on Paleolithic lifestyles. His most recent book is The Paleo Answer. We did this interview in November 2011. It starts with Lauren giving the evolutionary reason for why grains can be irritating to the human gut. You've been listening to an interview recorded in November 2011 with Lauren Cordain, a scientist who studies nutrition and exercise and is the author of several books about the paleo diet. His latest book is The Paleo Answer. I'm Shelley Schlender. Thanks to Walt Schlender for our music. You can find related articles and audio about nutrition and health at my website, meandmydiabetes.com.